Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome back to the latest edition of The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined as always by my colleague from The Athletic, Stuart Mandel. We are taping this right before we both head to Arizona for the Fiesta Bowl. Stu, you've been a jet setter. You took a little quick vacation around Christmas to Hawaii. Um, I feel like you were tempting the travel gods by, by going back and forth. Well, thank goodness I wasn't booked on Southwest. Uh, that has been quite the... But you were. You and I both were on Southwest. Oh, no, no. I mean, from Hawaii. We weren't... We from Hawaii, There are Southwest flights to Hawaii, but we were not on that. We were on Hawaiian Airlines. But yeah, I mean, I've already rescheduled my festival travel. You've decided to I'm, drive, correct? Yes, I will do the almost six-hour drive with uh, my family who's planning on coming with me. So um, fortunately, that's not to you know like that's a you know i think other people have major issues traveling and have been stranded and all that and i feel for them um our issues are not that so i think um you know as we get back into this now all of a sudden it's almost here not just the playoff but i feel like the the bigger name bowls are all going to just kind of come in a flurry now yeah it's 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 so this happens every year, but basically the bowls start so early that I feel like that first week or so is kind of sleepy. And it's like, I refer to that as if it's on, I'll watch it. <laughs> if I happen to be around and if it's on, I'll watch it. Those kind of bowls. Then it's a little quiet around It's even quieter around Christmas. But like we were recording this as we, as we were recording this, the UCF Duke military bowl is on. I watched the Wisconsin Oklahoma state game last night and then, you know, it'll probably already be over by the time people hear this, but the Holiday Bowl is tonight. Like, these are the ones where I'm like, yes, I want to watch that game. I'm going to make sure I'm in front of a TV. All of a sudden, the semis are coming up. They're on Saturday. The New Year's Six actually starts a couple uh, or the night before. Uh, so we're going to talk about those games. But real quick, anything you want to revisit from the bowl games played to date? Uh, there was one game that jumped out at me. It happened when I was flying back from Mississippi for the leech service. And it was Western Kentucky really just absolutely torched a pretty good South Alabama team with the top 20 defense and put up almost 700 yards. And the guy behind that offense, remember Zach Kitley was the guy last year. He had his, his uh, Houston Baptist quarterback and they lit people up and then he got springboarded that into a job back at Texas Tech is alma mater. Uh, ben Arbuckle, 27 years old. He is the OC. He worked under Zach Kittley before, and he is springboarding that. I mean, I don't know if it's official yet, but as we're reporting at The Athletic, he will be the new OC at Washington State, where he will replace Eric Morris, who took the head coaching job at North Texas. Again, this guy is like 
feels like he may be the next big thing and only 27 years old. So this is kind of a bold hire um, for Jake Dickert. And also there was a bunch of people who were very interested in him. His name got really hot, especially over the last month. So, you know, having watched that game, I did not expect Western Kentucky to, to blow out what was, you know, one of the two or three best group of five teams in college football. And they, they really took it to them. So, you know, interesting one for the Pac-12. You know, there's a lot of quarterbacks who are coming back. We'll see how much uh, Wazoo has a good defense. We'll see what they can do on offense. First of all, that bowl really hurt me in our bowl confidence pool because I, I was very confident in South Alabama. Whoops about that. And, you, yeah, the Pac-12 next year is just is trying to become the the world's most uh, – remember the, the most interesting man? This is like the most interesting conference between all the QBs that are coming in including DJ at uh, Portland uh, at Oregon state and Dion. Um, I was watching the guaranteed rate bowl um, and Wisconsin, Oklahoma state. And it, it was late night, you know, East coast time. So I got the sense. Not a lot of other people were watching. There certainly wasn't a lot of Twitter activity. Like you'd usually see. There was a couple really weird things about this game. Number one, the turf was in terrible condition and guys just kept slipping. Like out of nowhere, just they just fall. I'm like, is this safe? Should we be um, playing this bowl game at this baseball stadium? Uh, and then also, you know, did Luke Fickle coach the game or did he not coach the game? It, it's it's very unclear. The setup going into it was that Jim Leonard was coaching Wisconsin for the final time, and that Luke Fickle was just there to observe. However, Luke Fickle had a headset on. Luke Fickle was definitely talking on the headset. Luke Fickle did the sideline halftime interview and Luke Fickle was the coach they brought up on stage for the post-game ceremony. I talked to somebody who was there uh, on the sideline and even they were confused. So like I, who's, who gets that win in the record? They beat Oklahoma state. Does Fickle get the win or does Jim Leonard get the win? It's a good question. I would unofficially go check Wikipedia right now to see. Yeah. That's Wikipedia. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, they, they I didn't even capture the, like, I was like, who are they going to pour the Gatorade on? And they didn't show it on TV, but, but um, Kirk Morris and the analyst said it was Leonard. I think if you're Luke Fickle and you're the new head coach, I could totally get why you'd want the headset on. Cause you're, this is going to be your team and you're going to, you know, find out more about them. If, you know, it, it is a very unusual dynamic. I think, um, you know, we've seen some instances where new coaches have taken over Sometimes it's an interim, sometimes, you know, like who's getting promoted, but other times it, it feels like, you know, didn't Brian Kelly do this a long time ago? Brian Kelly got the Cincinnati job and coached them in the very short-lived International Bowl in Toronto. And then more recently, are you, Dye, are, you, are you diminishing the International Bowl at, at the expense of the guaranteed rate bowl where you just crapped on the field? Well, no, I, I thought the International Bowl was great, but I think it only lasted a couple of years because it was too hard to get like an entire college football team's passports, you know, uh, up and running. Although they do play the Bahamas Bowl. Uh, anyway, um, no, do you remember Sonny Dykes got the SMU job and they played in like the Frisco Bowl, one of those D DFW, and he coached them and they got their butts handed to them. Um, it doesn't happen very often. Usually the new coach is either kind of quietly in the background on the sideline or up in the press box, or in the case of Scott Satterfield, not there at all. Fickle, I think Fickle was coaching. 
I could swear at one point they showed him calling for a punt. Anyway, um, moving ahead, moving forward. All right. I have some bad news for people. Having gotten closer to the two semis, Michigan versus TCU and Georgia versus Ohio State, I am starting to believe it's going to be another year of two semifinal blowouts. Talk me out of it. Um, I'm going to be an optimist and say we're going to get more competitive games in this. The, the one that's weird for me, and again, going into the year, I picked Ohio State to win the national title and clung to it right up through the big game. But I feel like, again, you know, they have guys who are not going to play, who are, you know, key guys that, you know, some are banged up, some are ready for the NFL, whatever, whatever's going on. Um, you know, I feel like a lot of people, and I'm not saying George is doing this, are really taking them for granted, yourself included. Um, and I'm not sure I can push back against that, you know, like, because my last image of them was in Columbus and they just got absolutely embarrassed by a team that was more physical and more determined. And if anything, Georgia may be even more physical than Michigan. Right. And so, you know, maybe they'll prove us wrong. Like I always feel like, you know, I'll ask you this. And they didn't come in with the same momentum that the team that urban Meyer had that actually did win the national title there did when they, played Ohio's played Alabama. They didn't have, this team has, doesn't have any momentum, but they should have a chip on their shoulder. That team had probably momentum and a chip on its shoulder. And I think sometimes we get swung into this, me included, where I want to invoke our friend Ari's name, where it's like, you say, okay, this is still a really talented team. They have a puncher's chance. You know, they have the best receiver who will be on the field. I think he's a, you know, CJ Stroud's a better quarterback. No, no knock on Stetson Bennett, but their defense was embarrassed the last time out. What does Jim Knowles have in store? Can he slow down Georgia? To me, that's the game that I'm like most curious about. It's not like I don't give TCU a chance. I think TCU has a lot of speed. I just don't know how well they match up for, for what Michigan likes to do defense versus um, the Michigan offense. But the Ohio State one to me is a fascinating dynamic. TCU, I feel bad. I don't want to crap all over them. They had a great season. They certainly belong in this playoff. But they feel to me like the Cincinnati of this year, like the Notre Dame of the year they played Alabama, where they overachieved. Credit to them. They, they earned their way into the playoff, but they drastically overachieved. And they're about to play by far the best team they've played this season. Um, they are definitely a, They are definitely not the Stars Matter team. <laughs> so if Stars do matter... Michigan should win that game handily. Ohio State, Georgia, you know, in the immediate aftermath of the pairings coming out, it was kind of the way you were talking earlier. Like, well, you know, they could pull what Ohio State did in 2014. We know they're talented, um, you know, if they play their best game against Georgia. But then it's like, wait a minute, that 2014 team was coming off a 59 to nothing win in the Big Ten title game. Like they had already started to figure themselves out. And they were playing an Alabama team. That was, I think, number one because they were Alabama. Blake Sims was their quarterback. I don't think that goes down as one of the great Alabama teams. Georgia is a machine, and I just don't like the chances of a flawed Ohio State team against a pretty fully formed Georgia team that, frankly, doesn't, 
for the most part, doesn't lay eggs, especially not in big games like this. So um, prove me wrong, somebody. I would like to watch some good football games that day. In terms of the other New Year's Six games, well, I'll ask you, of the four other ones, which interests you the most? Give me a second, because let me look at because you don't remember who's in them. <laughs> no, honestly, Stu, I got to, I mean, maybe this, I shouldn't admit this, but I'm going to be honest. I don't make a huge distinction in my head of these New Year's Six Bowls versus yeah. some of the other bowls that are around that. I don't, I know people. Well, look, you can bring, I'm, we're not, we don't have to be strict about this. If there's a different January 1-ish game that fascinates you, you can bring that up. Okay, so I'm going through. So the, the December 31st games around it, you got Alabama K-State and obviously you have, not obviously, because this isn't an obvious, Iowa, Kentucky, right? Um, How did that and, get scheduled opposite the Sugar Bowl? I don't know. It's a good question. I mean, that's because it's in the same family of networks. It's not like Fox is pulling. Yeah, I thought the whole point was that the, the New Year's Six got exclusive. I don't know. I know the Sugar Bowl is being played then because there's Monday Night Football this year on after the Rose Bowl. But anyway, I digress. All right. So there's, so those games on the 30th, um, this could be embarrassing if I'd say, you know, the Gator Bowl, Notre Dame, South Carolina, interesting matchup. Then you have, I know the Orange Bowls in there, Georgia, and I'm sorry, Tennessee and Clemson. Um, the Duke's Mayo Bowl, that's not a New York Six Bowl, right? Um, and nor, nor is the Tony the Tiger <laughs> Sun Bowl. Um, but, but, Look, I'm looking at this, right? Because then you, I know the Cotton Bowl with Tulane and USC. Um, you got the Rose Bowl, obviously Penn State and Utah, and the Citrus Bowl, LSU, Purdue. If you ask the average fan, or even or even the person who doesn't do bowl projections on this list, and just said of the matchups, what are the other New Year's Six bowls? It's not like that much of a clear cut thing. I wish I had just answered this question myself. <laughs> But thank you for listing all of those games. Okay. Um, Alabama K-State interests me because they are Alabama is, is the rare exception where their two star players are opting into the bowl game. And I just think Bryce Young, both players, but let's focus on Bryce Young. It's hard to believe he's only been their quarterback for two seasons. Like he is he is leaving a considerable legacy. And this is his last college game. And it's like I know like some people just view college as like prism as a, you know, audition for the NFL, like Bryce Young will go on to play much more football, but there is something to be said for it. It's his last college game, his last game at Alabama. I'm uh, so I will appreciate the chance to see him where, play that one more time. Same with Will Anderson. And just like, you know, we spent so much time this season talking about everything wrong with Alabama. If, if they play the way they did against um, Tennessee, the way they played against Texas A&M, like Kansas State can beat them. If they play like the team we thought Alabama could be, frankly, they should handle K-State. But I don't know. I don't know which way we're going to get there. Yeah, I, I got to be honest. Like of those of the games, you know, when you look at a lot of these, they all have some kind of and I'm going around the game as well. It's like, is this quarterback playing, you know, Purdue against LSU? You have a you have a uh, you know, a coaching change with Purdue, right? I mean, it's just a lot of the whole, the team itself as we know it is very, is a very different dynamic and who's, yeah. you know, up for it, as you said, 
Um, you know, Tennessee in that case is a little different because of Hendon Hooker's injury. You know, Clemson certainly you feel like that's a program, I want to say in transition, but just in terms of like DJ to Klubnik and, you know, is this, is this a springboard game for Clemson to whip up on a, on an SEC team in the orange bowl and all of a sudden go, no, you've written us off. We're going to uh, go back to being the Clemson. You kind of now finally gotten used to over the last seven years. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in that, but I don't know if there's like a game of these other one that really, really stands out to me. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm curious to see what, how Notre Dame plays against South Carolina. Cause you know, look, South Carolina finished the year with a flourish in terms of, you know, a really, you know, a couple of big wins. Um, if you had told me a month ago that Notre Dame was playing South Carolina in a bowl game, I'd be like, okay, they're not going to be able to prove much because it's South Carolina. But in terms of how South Carolina finished um, it just, you know, they beat Clemson at Clemson. They crushed Tennessee I think somewhere in there, there was an embarrassing loss at Florida, but still like all of a sudden now, especially how Notre Dame finished last year, I'm interested. That might be a game I'm as interested in as any of the other games around that are not playoff games in that window. I agree. I I think there's, there's a lot of storylines in that game and like there's certain teams that I think there's, you know, you're going to get going back to the orange bowl. Like you're going to get, full strength Clemson it, if full strength. And I would say this, if full strength Clemson loses to Tennessee without Hendon hooker, that's not good for Dabo. Um, Clemson should win this game. If they still have that national championship DNA in there somewhere, but you know, obviously they've had a lot of problems the last couple of years. And also this game is a much bigger deal for Tennessee. They haven't played in a game like the orange bowl since uh, um, 2007 was the quarterback. God. Uh, it's been a long time. It's been a long time. So it's a bigger game for them. I'm sure. I mean, both teams will wear orange, but I would imagine there is going to be a lot of ball colored orange in that stadium. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. USC Tulane. Is USC going to care about that? Is you know Caleb Williams is playing? Is USC going to care about that game? I would think so because you don't want to finish that year, the season. Like to me, this is different than remember when Pete Carroll towards the end of his run to be like, eh, we're in the Rose Bowl again. You know, it was almost like a disappointment in some regards. Yeah. Like it was underwhelming. But they would still think- crush whoever they were playing. 
Yeah, I don't think that is this team's approach right now because it's still new to them, right? I think it's different. So to me, that's a little um, a little more of a, a different different uh, different dynamic. Who do you think? Um, who do you think wins Clemson Tennessee? I think Clemson's going to win it. I, I mean, I don't. I wouldn't say I think they're going to blow them out of the building. But Tennessee's had, you know, not just, you know, quarterback change. You have, you have, you know, the offensive coordinator is in the play caller. Now, I don't, it's not like Josh Heupel doesn't have a lot of experience doing himself, but like, you know, he's also now the head coach at USF. I just feel like right now, I don't want to say Clemson has that much more to play for, but I just feel like, I feel like this is a chance for Clemson to go, you know what? I feel like you guys are writing us off and we're not going to go out with a dud. I just don't, don't see it that way. By the way, Stu, to get back to your question about this, about, um, you know, when was the last time Tennessee was in a bowl game of this magnitude, you would have to go back to 2004 when they played in the cotton bowl and this quarterback, I believe was Rick Clawson. How about that? Who'd they play in the Kansas State, you said? No, I don't, they played. Who did they play? In 2004, they played Texas A&M, who, by the way, was number 22 in the country. So the number 15 against number 22. This game wasn't even of that magnitude. Also, that during that period, the Cotton Bowl was not on the same tier as the Fiesta Sugar Orange Rose, right? It was... There were four BCS bowls. So I don't even know if we can count that. So I'm going to say it's their biggest bowl. Since 1999, since... the Fiesta Bowl. Fulmer was on there for 10 more years after that. No, they're, yeah, Nebraska beat Tennessee uh, 31-21 in the Fiesta Bowl at the end of the 99 season. I was at that game. I was at Why? that game. So that was, <laughs> I don't remember, honestly. Eric Crouch, what... right? Against T. Martin, it was the year after they won the national title. But what I remembered about that was a bunch of people in the press box. And I'm not doing it anonymously because I, I honestly don't remember who was saying this. But it was like, yeah, if, the, if there were opt-outs back then, it sounded like Tennessee would have had a lot of opt-outs. There were guys who were like, just didn't seem like they were, and maybe this is excuse making, but they did not seem like they were all in. Well, they'd won the national title the year before, so I could see why that would have been a little bit of a letdown game. And that was a loaded team. Jamal Lewis, Sean Ellis, Raynock Thompson, Dwayne Goodrich. Um, you know, they, they Deion Grant, they had, what's this, like five second-round picks and two first-rounders. So. so it's, uh, needless to say, a, a really big game for Tennessee. Um, but I agree with you. I think Clemson probably wins the game. Um, just looking real quick, though, down the down the list here. Um, oh, <laughs> we've not mentioned the Rose Bowl. You know that little game out in Pasadena? Um, Penn State, I feel like, had a very unmemorable 10-2 and two season because they lost the two biggest games that they played. But I also feel like they are not – I feel like they're good. I feel like because you lost Ohio State and Michigan doesn't mean you're a bad team. And the defense in particular 
you know, a lot of good young talent on that defense. You got your freshman running backs. You do still have Sean Clifford as your quarterback for one more game. Um, they're going to play a tough Utah team who always gets discounted and counted out in these games. Um, this is a big chance for James Franklin to say, you know what? Yeah, we're still out here. We still matter um, to win the Rose Bowl and win 11 games. Yeah. Who did you pick in this game, by the way? Or have you not yet? Who I don't think pick? we've written our picks yet. Um, I will be picking Penn State. Okay. What, why are you so – I mean, you have a ton of respect for Utah. I, I think you picked them. I do have a ton line. of respect for so, Utah. Yeah. Why are you off um, the bandwagon? Off the bandwagon? Well, I mean, I know how you and John Hayes feel about Mr. Clifford. So what gives? I don't know. It's a toss-up kind of game. You're picking the Utes. I didn't say that, but I, I'm like, okay. I, I'm not as down on Sean Clifford as you guys are. Maybe that's a John Hayes thing, Penn State grad. Um, All right. Call me a cheesy, sentimental guy, but I feel like Sean Clifford has to go out on a high note. Just has to after six years of this. Okay. Could, I could. Sorry, uh, I don't have a more con- uh, nuanced um, X's and O's reason. Yeah um no it's it's good like i feel like utah utah whether they win the game or not always shows up you know it's just i mean while that sounds like cliche i just feel like you know penn state has to have a day game they're not gonna you're not gonna you know that's this is a team that always has its chip on its shoulder so i don't know I have two more questions for you before we get to the mailbag one serious one not so serious the serious one you are at mike leach's memorial service look like um, you know, everybody you could possibly think of from the air raid tree spoke at that service. Um, Mississippi State is playing Illinois in the ReliaQuest Bowl, the bowl formerly known as the Outback Bowl. Zach Arnett, now the permanent head coach. Like, what what is that game going to be like? For like, what do you think the how Mississippi State is going to treat that game? This is a very unusual situation, obviously. It is. I mean, first of all, and I don't know if have we done a podcast since the, the memorial. No, we haven't. We haven't. So, so uh, you know, I don't want to say shout out, but like appreciate how Mississippi State Athletic Department, university community handled uh, Mike's memorial and everything around it. Um, it was very touching. And I thought they did, you know, because Mike wasn't even there that long. He was there three years. And I know he and his wife had really come to love that place um and that area so but as you said there was there was a ton of people from the football were not just the ones who spoke there but like around and the whole team was there and two players spoke at the service and i think i can only imagine you know what they are going through i also thought you know not to go down this road too far but like you know, Washington State, I don't know if you remember Gabe Marks, he was like a record-setting receiver oh, yeah. at Wazoo. Both he and Gardner Minshew spoke individually. Um, and, man, the Washington State program, like, I think, like, I know this name because I, I have interviewed him before, Renard Bell, who was there forever, a really good little receiver from L.A. at Washington State. And I had talked to him in the off-season about something and just talked about all those kids had been through, you know, like multiple player deaths, obviously – all the craziness of the coaching, you know, ups and downs from Leach leaving to Rolovich and everything that happened with Rolovich and his exit. And then Jake Dicker taking over 
And now, like, obviously, for some of these guys who were recruited by Leach for Leach's passing, you know, it's hard to – I'm saying that to get to this. I feel like it's impossible to predict how, you know, 20, 21, 22-year-olds will respond to this. You know, just because Mike had such a big presence there, I mean, I think they will play really hard and they will play really well. Um, but, you know, now you also have – the, the tough reality of this is there's a bunch of coaches who may not know if they're going to be there on staff, right. you know, just cause Zach Arnett is staying and getting elevated doesn't mean he's not going to make some staff changes. And, um, you know, so I'm glad you brought this up because I, I, I mean, I, I feel like it, we should be talking about it individually then, you know, in the lump of, you know, interesting games around there, but I'm curious to see how they respond. I don't think anybody can predict how they will, because, you know, the last game Mike ever coached, he beat the arch rival in the Egg Bowl. And then so much has happened since then, right? And again, I think there's just a lot of hard realities that go around this. I think they'll come out motivated, play well. I hope that the broadcast is a big tribute to Mike Leach. I don't want to, I mean, Illinois is in the game and Brett Bielema did a great job this year and they certainly deserve their their props as well, but you know, um, I thought it was really cool seeing Dana Holgerson at the uh, uh, which bowl was that Independence Bowl wearing yep. the state sweatshirt like like Leach would normally. Hey, um, Eli Drinkwitz wore Leach's face on a shirt and swing your sword on the back, right? And he did, yes. Um, We've so, seen a lot of good uh, tributes, a lot of helmet my, stickers and everything, and so my lighthearted question. Iowa is playing Kentucky in the Music City Bowl. The over/under is thirty-one. Taking the over, or the under. I'm going to take the over. Anytime we outsmart ourselves with this, I feel like something else happens. Um, it's kind of the Stoops Bowl. Bob Stoops is a played at Iowa and coached there, and obviously his brother. You know, the whole Stoops family were all at the service. Um, I think we'll see fireworks in that game. I don't know why. I just think that <laughs> going, you know, crazy stuff happens in bowl games. That'll be the craziest thing. You'll see a lot. Yeah, of that's the thing. Like if this game were being played in October, I would take the under. But it's a bowl game. You know, even Kirk Ferentz probably has some wrinkles up his sleeve. There, yeah, I'll take the over as well. Now, what will it be? Forty-eight to forty-five? Probably not. Somebody pointed out like the, this game and the Kansas State Alabama game are on at the same time. If you flip between them, it may look like two different sports. Let's be honest. We haven't done mailbag in a while. We had a few questions to get to. As always, send your questions to the audible pod at gmail.com. Our first one. Oh, speak of the devil. We just talked about Kansas State. Tate in Kansas City. Hi, Stu and Bruce. Outside of the household names, Chris Kleiman and K-State had a massive signing day, securing a top 30 class at the time of this writing. Headlined by Elite 11 QB Avery Johnson, who was teetering on the edge of five-star status, they beat out Iowa and Oklahoma for Asa Newsom and Jordan Allen, respectively, and secured Keegan Johnson in the portal from Iowa. For all his success, one blemish on Bill Snyder's resume was failing to capitalize on successful seasons. It appears Kleiman is doing just that thoughts. Uh, you know, just to, on Bill Snyder quick, one thing that he did as good a job as anybody was he had a huge, huge percentage of success with junior college transfers. 
And so I think that made the recruiting um, rankings a little different, you know, because he was recruiting from a different pool in a lot of ways than who he was up against. Um, you know, it's funny as we got this question and you sent it to me this morning, and I have actually have this up on, on online. Um, I don't, you know, no doubt Avery Johnson was a big, big commit. He got a lot of buzz around, um, around the elite 11. He's a top 75 overall recruit. If you look at the rankings though, at K-State, it's a good class, but it's 38th right now, according to two, four, seven. So I don't, I don't know if it, I want to would overhype it too much, but the thing I would say, especially as it relates to Avery Johnson and the thing that I think is is a not so well kept secret anymore you talk to coaches around the big 12 and say you know who's the best coach team in the in the conference they won't hesitate they will say kansas state and i think that now is resonating with a lot of people and i think they know they develop players i think they've won a bunch of games you had a star running back in there for a you know for a long time obviously in deuce vaughn and a bunch of good players on the other side of the ball so I think kids know I go there, I'm going to get developed. And I think that is probably at the core of it. And certainly, you know, a little bit, I know they got some good, you know, JC guys out of uh, Iowa, Iowa Western, which cranks out, um, you know, talent out of those JCs. So I think that was another plus for them. But, um, and Keegan Johnson, I remember thinking, cause he, if you remember, his dad was a really good player at Nebraska um, Nebraska missed on his brother who turned out to be a terrific FCS player receiver. And then last year, Johnson had a really good impact as a freshman at Iowa. And he's just the latest, you know, like good receiver that is le leaving Iowa to go to another power five. Um, I think the question I would have for you to, to kind of spring where, where Tate is going is this team is good enough to play as, you know, a top 10 caliber opponent in Alabama now. How much better do you think he can get Kansas State? Do you think he can get Kansas State to be a – I mean, playoff team means different now that we're going into the – you know. Well, that's the era. thing, right? All the rules are changing. And I think everybody is wondering – and by the way, I need to do a quick clarification. 24-7 now does this thing where they like – I know what you were looking at, but it's like a combination of the transfer class and the high school class. High school class, they were 29th in the country. Um Overall 38th. I see what you mean. Yeah. And that, and, and I agree, like transfer should be part of recruiting classes, but it's hard to do midstream like this, right? You, you're comparing, you know, 25 kid uh, high school classes versus some teams have two transfers. Some teams have seven. You know, it's a little early to do that, but I think everybody's looking toward what's the big 12 going to look like after Texas and OU leave. And you'll have a 12 team playoff with an automatic berth. And I don't see any reason why Chris Kleiman and Kansas State can't be an annual contention for that spot for the for the conference championship. Now, I would say the same thing about TCU and Sunny Dykes. Um, you know, I think both those programs are in good hands. Oklahoma State has had a they had a weird year this year and kind of fell apart. But for the most part, Mike Gundy's usually got them in contention. Then you've got the new teams coming in. So um I think you're right. I think people recognize that K-State's a good, good program to develop in. I don't think they're going to, you know, necessarily even be pursuing recruits who are solely looking for a seven-figure NIL deal. Um, so, you know, I think they're well-positioned for the, whatever you want to call it, Big 12 3.0, 4.0, 4.5, 4.5. 
4.0. I don't know how many different evolutions we've gone through that conference at this point, but basically the post Texas, Oklahoma one. I, I feel like, you know, you said TCU. I feel like TCU is the one program right now in the big 12. That's not going to leave to go to the SEC in a minute. That is positioned to recruit at a top 10 level because they're in a very fertile area in DFW. I feel like they have everything in, in place with Sonny Dykes there now to, and they do have the best recruit, you know, highest ranked recruiting class. Um, Texas Tech had a really good recruiting class. If you look at high schoolers, TCU is even better. It's ranked 18th, according to 247. Um, I feel like they're the ones who may be able to can break through that glass ceiling now, but we'll mm-hmm. see. Uh, the next question, Stu, I will direct to you. It's from our buddy Jason Gorluski in Columbia, South Carolina. Great podcast, as always. Coastal Carolina is a team that has been on the rise in recent seasons. However, with the coach moving on to greener pastures, as Jamie Chadwell is going to Liberty, and the quarterback in the transfer portal, by the way, another weird thing, you know, Grayson McCall in the portal, but played in the bowl. Change has arrived. Does Coastal Carolina have the infrastructure to be relevant in upcoming seasons? Or did Coastal catch lightning in a bottle with a QB coach combo and now will fade back into the background? I mean, I don't, that 2020 season was a bit of a lightning in a bottle just because of all the weird circumstances surrounding it. And they got a lot of attention that they wouldn't have otherwise. But I mean, they were successful at Joe Mobley too when they were in FCS. Um, I think that's a program built for success. Now, the Sun Belt is getting even tougher, you know, with some of the teams they've absorbed now in Southern Miss and Marshall and so on and so forth. So I don't think they're ever going to be a program that dominates the Sun Belt. Appalachian State's in the Sun Belt. We talked about South Alabama. Um, but yeah, I, I think they can continue to have success. I think probably people didn't appreciate just how good Grayson McCall was. They will when he signs wherever he signs. And I think will absolutely be an impact transfer at the power five level that might be hard to replicate, but I think they can continue to be a regular Sun Belt championship contender. What do you think? I would disagree. Oh, Uh, wow. Okay. So I think the rest of the Sun Belt has really risen up. As you said, Marshall is coming in there. This past year, won nine games. I feel like they're positioned well. We saw James Madison hit the ground running. App State is o- almost always good. And then the Troy-South Alabama combination, really high on both of those coaches who are early in their tenure. Um, but the part, I, I'll be honest, of all the hires, I'm, I was kind of a little underwhelmed by Tim Beck getting that job. I know he has a connection to Joe Mowley, who still has a lot of influence there. They had been together, I believe, at Nebraska. I could be it wrong. It was a puzzling. That was a puzzling hire, to say the least. Yeah. I mean, I think I know why it happened. I just, I'm a little, again, I could be wrong. There's been plenty of hires where the hire has happened. And I was like, ooh, that turned out way better than I thought. Um, that's why I'm a little hesitant to say. I think going from Jamie Chadwell to Tim Beck will not keep coastal carolina in the short term at the same level you may have you may have turned me to your side (laughs) sorry tim beck but that was a bizarre hire i think i got focused more on the infrastructure and where they are and all that um that reminds me a little bit of like cincinnati going from pickle to satterfield i don't and you are down on scott satterfield i don't feel all that inspired by it you are down on scott satterfield 
you know, and he's bringing half his staff from Louisville and it's like, but you weren't that successful program at Louisville. So, you know, yeah, I'm sorry. I don't mean to pile on the guy, but it's not, but no, you know, Tim Beckson, even less than higher confidence inspiring higher than that. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right, Bruce, finally a question that you are perfectly, that you are the man to answer from Brian Ronan. Bruce, now that you are a coach, maybe you can explain the difference between Leach's air raid offense in the run and shoot that University of Houston ran under John Jenkins in the late eight in the late eighties and early nineties. I'm just trying to remember which coach at the time called that offense cluck and duck. Maybe you do. Um, so I think you know Leach's air rate is a little is much more uh, you know pass happy than some other versions of the air raid we certainly see. Lincoln Riley obviously throws it a lot, but their run game was a little more sophisticated than what Mike did at all of his stops. And I, I think Dana Holgerson as well. So that offense, you know, Leach and how mummy took it. It's really based off of what BYU did. Doug Scoville was that mastermind with, with uh, Lavelle Edwards there. And what that really was, was a version of the West coast passing game. You know, they had the wide splits on the offensive line and it, you know, I, I again, Sonny Dykes had a great answer about this earlier this year about how air raid really was as much a philosophy as it was an offense. Um, you know, when you saw Wazoo went from Leach and then to Nick Rolovich, Rolovich was, you know, was a disciple of June Jones, and that is more of the run and shoot. And in kind of a weird aside, and I don't want to say that this is exactly you know, makes me an expert on this, but the, like in the semi pro team I played for, we ran the run and shoot and it's a lot of option routes. And if you have the timing down, um, you know, it, you can, it's so much, I think on the receiver and everything. It's not to say that the air raid didn't have a lot of adjustments, but I think it was just kind of maybe they're cousins, but they're definitely not the same, you know, where the, the receiver has a lot of flexibility in terms of what the coverage and he decides, you know, do I stop? Do I do this? And so it can look bad, but I also, if it, if the timing is off, but I also think they will run it more probably than certainly Mike did. You know, that was a, that could cause a lot of problems. And I think even um, what you saw with Rolovich when he had it going is they had a really effective run game. So, you know, when Houston had it going with John Jenkins, they had a lot of similar to Leach, like slot guys, like Emmanuel Santos was a, was put up huge numbers as, I'm sorry, Manny Hazard, I think it might be the same guy, um, but put up huge numbers. And obviously David Klingler and Andre Ware put up big numbers. 
I think it, I think what the similarity beyond just being prolific was, it was a very aggressive style that of a spread. And I think that was the similarities, but in terms of like what you'd see in terms of how the receivers, you know, maybe the routes were, were different um, a lot than what you, what you see mostly in, uh, in, in Leach's offense. Yeah, it's like I, I get why people would associate them with each other because they both have like, you know, crazy quarterback stat lines. Um, or, <laughs> I mean, infamously, Houston beat SMU 95 to 21 when SMU was coming off the death penalty. Um, Klingler had some insane passing lines, just as all those Texas Tech QBs did. And then I think Connor Halliday threw 90 passes in a game at one point. But well, they the, are the, the thing that I think sometimes people didn't understand, even they're like football people, was you know, they don't run it at all. Well, a lot of that is on the quarterback, like Connor Halliday. You know, sometimes if you see like a light box, you know, the idea is you really should run it. But in terms of some of the quarterbacks, it's on them to decide. So Connor Halliday threw it 88 times, maybe I think it was against Oregon and, and Nick Aliotti, or they kept throwing it. That was. That was, you know, that's, I don't want to say it's entirely on the quarterback, but it pretty much is in that regard. Yeah. So most passing yards in a game, Connor Halliday, 734. Um, Pat Mahomes, 734. David Klingler, 716. Matt Volger for TCU in 1990, uh, 690. And then BJ Simmons, 661. So, all of the top five are either air raid or um, run and shoot. BJ Simmons, a leech favorite. I remember uh, it just, I think of all the air raid quarterbacks who came through Lubbock, I think BJ Simmons had a special place in leech's heart almost because of how he was so aggressive. And he was like, I'm going to fire it off the back of this guy's head if he doesn't turn around. And that's that. And so again, it's it, the one thing I think it really exuded was it was an attitude and, a lot of guys had it. All right. So our next episode will be late night uh, of New Year's Eve. Thank you again, uh, playoff uh, organizers, Bill Hancock, and so on and so forth, for your genius idea to host semifinal games on New Year's Eve, uh, uh, a legacy that will not soon be forgotten. Um, do you like it or do you hate it? Oh, it's ridiculous. I mean, you and I both have our families in Arizona for new year's eve and we can't really celebrate new year's eve with them it's ridiculous and you know we're being paid to is do this, it that's is great this sour, is this sour grapes over our families can celebrate the games i will be writing a column i don't know i don't know what you'll be doing but you know they can they can sell they can sell, they're, they're not they're free to celebrate new year's eve i'm saying people especially like we have the early game the people who are covering the peach bowl like New Year's Eve will come and go and they won't even notice it. Um, I think you're forgetting, Bruce, that we played a key role in getting this thing changed. I don't know if you remember this, but the first time they did New Year's Eve semifinals, I remember I would I had been covering the Michigan State, the Alabama, Michigan State Cotton Bowl. So the ratings come out. I, I had actually I was I was open to the idea. And then the ratings came out and it was such a debacle. The numbers were just so much lower than than the previous years. And it was just like, everybody's making fun of them. You and I got the first interview with Bill Hancock afterward on the Audible. Mm -hmm. 
like that Monday morning or whatever. And he spun it and he spun it and he spun it. But it was already, you know, it was already obvious they were going to have to backpedal from that. What ended up happening was, for the most part, they moved them off New Year's Eve, except that this year New Year's Eve is a Saturday. So that's how you're getting an 8 p.m. Georgia Ohio State kickoff on December 31st. Sounds like you don't care. Uh, I love more football to me is a good thing. And, you know, I don't know, at this stage of my life, it's not like I'm going to be out the bar running wild. I'd rather have the game in front of me and, you know, my family will. I don't know if my daughter will love it, but I know, I know, I know <laughs> my son will. Well, I'm sure that, you know, I'm sure that a lot of people will be, will cel- we'd be celebrating it in the hospitality room of the uh, Camelback Inn on Saturday night. So anyway, yes, we'll be doing that. We'll, so my point is that will be a quick reaction podcast. Our next one with emails will be next week. Send your questions to audiblepod at gmail.com, though you might want to wait till after the playoff games to, to send them. And we'll see you next time. Music.